Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today, I'm joined by founder and CEO of Unstoppable Software, Sam Schutte. Every aspect of our world in this day and age involves some kind of software, and Sam is the brains behind some of the most unique software development going on in the USA. It's not only his company's ability to develop great software that has seen him working with numerous billion-dollar organizations, but, but it's his expert ability to bridge the gap between developers and upper management that sets him apart from other consultants, something he learned through his experience. So welcome, <laughs> Sam. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very, very good to have you with us. Um, so uh, tell us about life before you set up Unstoppable Software. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, you know, went to college at University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, majored in computer science there. So I kind of went into the technical side. Um, that That is a very theoretical degree uh, and kind of very deeply nerdy uh, and got out and started, you know, I had the good fortune right out of college to start working for a commercial software product company that was a, actually a publicly traded uh, listed company that was in the healthcare space. Uh, and so I worked for, I worked as a software developer for probably about, uh, I guess, 10 or 12 years then. Um, you know, I worked for a lot of startups. I worked for uh, IT departments uh, at, at companies like hospitals, insurance companies. So I kind of had a pretty broad range of experience. Um, and I think towards the sort of end of my you know, employee days, I guess you might say, I worked for probably three different startups in a row that, you know, got funding, got sold, got funding, went out of business, you know, so and so and so forth, um, ran out of money, whatever. Uh, and I kind of said, you know, I, th I think I can do this, you know, because after you see it enough times, you realize they don't have any magic, uh, some magic skills you don't have. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And, uh, actually a friend of mine, uh, you know, like a lot of people, because I think a lot of people start a company because they plan for years and years and years and finally they launch it or it just happens. Right. Uh, and I was sort of in that latter case, had nothing better to do. You know, <laughs> um, I had, I had had a contract finish and a friend of mine was an executive at a company and, and said, why don't you come over here and, you know, work on some software for us. Um, and so I started, and it was, you know, just myself with one man shop, um, doing that in, uh, January of 08. Wow, that I mean, that's that's all happened in a relatively short, uh, short space of time. I need to pick up on a lovely word you used. Forgive me for repeating it for you, sure. but the word nerdy. Now, a lot of people, <laughs> uh, when they hear people like you that have excelled at what you do, and they hear the word nerdy, they automatically assume that in this particular case, Sam Shooty must be a real academic. Does it necessarily follow, Sam, in your experience that to be successful? I mean, in, in, in business generally, but in particular, uh, in your profession, in your industry, does it naturally follow that you have to be really bright? Uh, I mean, I, I think if, so if you want to be a software developer, you, you know, yes, I think, I mean, I think you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be pretty bright to be able to do that well. Um, but I think 
if you want to be a uh, an entrepreneur who happens to have a background in software development, it's not that you don't have to be bright, but it, it's that may not be the most important thing, you know, um, or it's not the only important thing. Rather, I think on interpersonal skills, ability to communicate, sort of some, uh, you know, some guts to go out there and do it. Um, there are plenty of folks who. And I know folks who, you know, they weren't the best software developer in the world, or maybe they weren't even the greatest like IT person in the world, but they had an incredible business sense and incredible, incredible ability to sell or otherwise just communicate with people who have grown, you know, incredible businesses. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember when I was in college, uh, I had a, I had a sort of a mentor to me say that, you know, in business, the D students, you know, the, the students who have a D grades uh, end up in charge of the C students, the C students manage the B students and the B students manage the A students. Right. Uh, and I, th- and I think that's kind of been true. You know, it's, it's like, um, if you don't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the room to be the best business person. Uh, yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a really good answer actually. Um, and, and something in my experience, I, I would agree, agree with wholeheartedly. So I love, always love speaking to people who are disruptors. And we'll talk a little bit about um, how you've positioned yourself differently in your very competitive marketplace. But before we get to that point, what makes somebody that's doing, you know, very well in the corporate world, suddenly leave all that behind and go off? I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, an opportunity came along. Was it as simple as that? Or had you planned it? Was there a 20 page business plan? Or was it just an opportunity? And you thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, no, I mean, there was no business plan. Um, I, I don't think I wrote a business plan and probably until the company was already more than five years old, you know, cause it, it was just, I am sort of of the opinion that I, I know too many people who spend years and years writing business and marketing plans. And it's not that those are worthless. Uh, I think they, they are good, but you know, if that's all you do is write the plan, then it's, then it can be worthless, right? You have to actually act. And so I think I was, you know, 100% action and 0% planning maybe, you know, uh, which, you know, maybe it's just luck that we ended up okay. Cause obviously sometimes that can be disastrous, right? Um, if you have no plan and you just act on it, but, uh, but no, I mean, and, and I think as far as what led me to break out on my own or to want to, uh, you know, I, I think the problem in, in a lot of any kind of engineering field is you have all the responsibility and none of the authority, right? You're, you're the guy that gets blamed when the system breaks down, when the, you know, the, the plant breaks, whatever kind of technical job you have, you know, whether it's mechanical or software or anything. Um, but you don't get to make any decisions, you know, you're even what you build or what you're allowed to build sometimes can be constrained. And that, and that can be very frustrating when you're like, and, and you know, this is common in any kind of technical field. It's like, you know, if only I could just do things the right way, Right. You hear people say. Um, and so I think that was always frustrating to me. I, I wanted to, you know, have the ability to be the one that makes the decisions um, and at least kind of have the buck stop with me. Uh, and that's and that's probably been like the most uh, enjoyable thing to me or personally rewarding thing to me is that, hey, you know, it, it may have been a failure. Maybe this didn't work. But you know what? Like it was completely my decision. I didn't have to get permission. I did it. And whether it succeeded or failed, you know, it's, it's mine. Right. So what was it about then your, your experiences, Sam, in those early days that led you to deciding to set up, uh, the business that we now know as unstoppable software. In other words, what were the opportunities? I, I know you speak of the fact that, um, there were, you, you had observations of your industry 
and certain issues with it. So what was ultimately the motivation for Unstoppable, Unstoppable Software? Well, and so I think, it, and I think it ties into a little in our, in our, into our name, Unstoppable. Um, what I ran into in corporate IT, especially, uh, and sometimes in startups is a lot of people who just, you hear a lot of, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, right? This can't be done. Oh, there's no way. Uh, and so in my head, what I thought to myself is, you know, I wanted to be in, and it's cheesy, but I wanted to be in the business of yes, right? Like there is a way that we can do this, you know, and, and consistently, I think for our customers, you know, we hear from a lot of them, like, man, you know, we've tried for five years to get this built. We've tried for however long to do this. We've had multiple teams in here trying to do this and they give up or they say we can't. So, so, so that was one thing is I didn't, I wanted to be, you know, very tenacious and sort of, um, uh, you know, not give up on hard problems. Uh, and then I think also, you know, I wanted to be, uh, I, I believe very strongly that, you know, the way to get uh, high output out of software developers and, and create high, perf- high performing teams uh, with them is to create a shop that's just a really optimal place for them to work, you know. Um, and a lot of our developers, I mean, even though, I mean, we're a small business, um, a lot of them have been with us for, you know, nine, 10 years. Um, and I think it's because, so it's, you know, we don't experience the kind of turnover that you sort of hear out there in the industry. And I think it's because we've sort of created a, an environment that they can just really do their best work and not feel constantly like they're hitting political, you know, uh, head walls or something like that. I mean, today we're talking not just to an entrepreneur who's who's uh, disrupted his, his market, his industry, and gone down a slightly different path, having identified some of the issues that were being faced by uh, both businesses and consumers, but also uh, an individual who you know, left the corporate world, left down the nice, cozy job, uh, and instead said, you know, I'll do it on my own. And, uh, and so I'm kind of going to try and prize out the USPs as well as also your experience as an on- entrepreneur and also leading a team. So you know, we're having mm-hmm. a conversation today about, about a leader in, in his industry too. So I understand, Sam, that um, the I'll do it on my own as a consultant conversation takes place in your mind at a time when you had a pregnant wife and a house on the market, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, just about the wrong time to make that kind of decision. What, what advice would you give to people who are using uh, things like that as an excuse for inertia? Well, and I also was in night school to get my MBA. So I had gone back to school. My wife was pregnant. We had listed our house on the market. It was 2008. And I mean, the housing market was already kind of weird then. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, it, we always sort of joke about it. Like, well, I don't know what else we do. I don't know. Let's start a company. Why not? You know? Uh, so there are a lot of reasons why you shouldn't. Um, and I guess what pops into my head is, you know, there's a Martin Luther King quote that I, I might paraphrase that he says, you know, there's never, uh, it's never the right time to do the right thing. You know, there's never, it's never a good time to do the right thing. And so I think it's, it's sort of like, if it's right for you, and, and it certainly felt right for me, then, uh, you know, there's no reason to wait. There's no reason to, to try to make, you know, to compromise that and do it later. I mean, I have a lot of friends, I hear from all sorts of folks uh, that, well, I'm going to save up, you know, all the money I need for retirement, and then I'll feel comfortable starting a business. And that that's kind of crazy to me, because maybe you start your business, and in a year, you've covered your retirement, you know? Um, I, I mean, there's obviously tr- tremendous uh, earning potential. I mean, if you look at all the billionaires in the, in the 
top whatever 50 billionaires in the US. I mean, a huge portion of them are got it from starting a business, you know. Um, why would you wait until everything was perfect? Because there is no perfect time. You know, you, you, the, the time to act and the time to go out there is now and not when it feels right, because it's never going to feel right, you know. And as a leader, Sam, what is it about your environment? What's it about the culture that you've created that has led to uh, a lack of, you know, almost the op- opposite of that transience you speak of, a large turnover of staff in your industry? What, what's kept people loyal and engaged to you? Is it a particular leadership style? Is it a culture that you've created? So what is it about Unstoppable that's encouraged people to see this all the way through? Well, I mean, I think part of it is that uh, I'm a big believer in egalitarianism. And so I, you know, I'm almost uncomfortable when people say uh, if they introduce me as, you know, here's my boss. Right. And I always kind of position it. And I mean, yes, of course I am. But uh, I I always sort of say it's really more that, you know, uh, we're a team and I'm the coach, but you're the quarterback. And who's more important? You know, Um, I mean, coaches sometimes can be (laughs) replaced easier than quarterbacks on some teams. Right. And at least in in American football here. Um, And and, you know, I think that makes that puts people sort of uh, uh, on an equal ground, equal footing with me, um, that they're not afraid to bring things up or, or, you know, ask questions. And then I just I try to have complete transparency. I mean, you know, our our developers, they know what our rates are. They know what our project costs are. They know what our margins are. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's like, why have some big secret about it? Um, uh, because then, you know, sometimes the secret is worse than the truth. You know, them sitting there wondering, I wonder how much he's making on this project, you know. Um, but if they know and they're like, oh, that's reasonable. He worked hard to land this deal. OK, you know, uh, then then I think it just establishes trust is, is the bottom line. Well, some of, um, some of those words I've heard, I've been furiously noting down. Um, yeah, and it sounds to me, Sam, that you're being uh, very modest, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, so what is it about you? I, maybe no one's ever asked you this question before. and Maybe you don't particularly feel comfortable answering it. Um, but what is it about you, Sam Shooty, that has made you so successful? Do you have a mantra? Do you have a, a set of principles that you live by? Is that you know what you've learned as part of your upbringing? Have you developed those? those ideas and those beliefs have you gone along or has it just all kind of happened because you've taken that action that you speak of? I guess that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of hard to answer. I guess I, I don't have a, you know, a built in mantra that I default to, but, but I know that I, I like people. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I think like most of us, I want to be liked. And so, uh, you know, I really want, uh, anybody I work with to be happy. It's very important with me and uh, important to me. And I think, you know, when, when, whether it's an employee or a customer, uh, if they're unhappy or they're not, you know, whatever, I don't feel like, uh, I'm doing what I, as much as I can for them, that, that really bothers me, you know, that I, I think I lose sleep over that, you know? Um, so I, I don't know that I've distilled that down to a, uh, oh, a message or something, but, it, but I, maybe that's just part of my personality is, um, you know, I, I do care what other people think, um, as opposed, and I, and I know there's some business leaders that, that are the opposite of that. And, and that can work for them too. Um, you know, uh, particularly in some industries where, where you have to be a little more ruthless maybe. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's important to 
um, you know, really establish deep relationships with your customers and your employees. And, and, and I think that's part of what, what, uh, makes me tick. Well, I think you've answered that question very well because I've heard words like, you know, care and inclusivity and, um, transparency. So I, I think you've done a great job of answering that question, which I do realize was a, was a tough one. No one ever likes answering that kind of question. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But you've already mentioned your team and, and the fact that they've been with you, many of them for a period of time. How important uh, is a great team to the success? And I know this is a slightly rhetorical question, Sam, but how important is your team to your own personal success? Oh, I mean, you know, just obviously just vital, right? Um, you know, I think um, without a great team, you're really, you're, you're nothing essentially. I mean, and I, and I, and certainly there are many stories of just incredible leaders and incredible visionaries out there who, uh, make a lot of bad hires, can't inspire people and just everything falls apart, you know? Um, now, you know, the natural follow-up question is, well, how do you create a great team? How do you find a great team? Um, and I think that that can be a very, very nuanced thing, you know? Um, but, uh, especially in the consulting services business. I mean, we are, we are nothing except for the abilities and strengths and sort of values of our team members. Now you're, you're speaking today to a Gen X. So, um, I'm the kind of guy that has absolutely no clue what you're talking about. If you talk to me about software and technology and hardware and all the other things in between. So for people like me, uh, but there will be a lot of people out there as well who want to know a little bit more about what unstoppable is. Could you give us just a, um, a, you know, probably a simple uh, watered down version of what you do exactly, how you do it, and the types of clients you work with. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I think that, and what you said there is not uncommon. I mean, business leaders and, and most people, you know, most people in the world don't really understand what or how software and hardware does what it does, right? But I think they do understand uh, making more money, saving more money. Right. Uh, and, and so, and, and it's interesting. I think a lot of folks out there, uh, see software as a sort of a convenient thing and they don't see it as a real business strategy. Right. And so that's the type of software that we help people build software. That's part of their key, uh, strategy to the way they're going to go to market to the way they're going to run their business or operate. So it's almost like software that enables a new way of doing business, right? Um, so it's not just a, a tool or utility. It is the business in a lot of ways, um, or at least it's a key part of it. Uh, and, you know, it, we, uh, we work with a lot of companies, a lot of different industries, but we've gravitated really over the last 12 years to a lot of companies that are sort of in a manufacturing and, and engineering space. So companies that are designing products, you know, manufacturing, building them, um, you know, and that can be anything from chemical companies or, you know, designing custom sort of chemicals as, as well as equipment and heavy equipment. Um, and then we've also worked a lot in the healthcare space. That's probably the other big focus we have. And that's, you know, those two sort of verticals are probably about 80% of our business. Uh, and basically, you know, the, the, the pattern is always a customer says, look, you know, we have done this thing via Excel and Word and email, um, or maybe a SharePoint site, or maybe on paper. We've done this. We've created this way of operating, but it's chaotic. It's cumbersome. Uh, can we build a system that sort of encapsulates that? You know, rounds that all up and and puts that under control. And and that's the sort of systems we do. So it's it's line of business solutions um, that really kind of cut through. 
you know, the fat of operation and, 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 and that's what allows those systems to have a really, uh, you know, high ROI on them. So basically, if I can summarize that round peg for round holes rather than square peg for round holes, because I've come across even in my own business, um, you know, structured uh, software products that somebody's trying to uh, fit into our business rather than the other way around. Would that, would that be a fair way of summarizing for somebody who knows nothing about it like me? Absolutely. That's exactly it. And because and, and, the systems we build are custom for that yeah. customer, right? Completely tailor built. And so you think about for yourself, like if I come to you and I say, you know, hey, I want to sell a software product to you. Uh, it does 80% of what you need, but you're going to have to change the other 20% of your business to fit its world. Okay. What, what if, so number one, if you buy that and then every single one of your other competitors buys that and you all operate that same way, are you really very different from each other? What's your differentiation? You all run on the same, you know, operating, uh, rules or whatever, right? With this system. But if I come and I say, we'll build something completely custom for you that does 100% of exactly what is in your DNA, you know, that can be a huge competitive advantage then, right? I mean, sometimes that ex that sometimes that last little like one or two or 5% differentiation can make all the difference. Um, so I think that's key. How did you go from starting with, you know, one client to now working with some huge billion dollar companies? And I suppose there's a part B to that as well, Sam, which is what advice would you give to someone who started a business with just maybe one or two clients and are now looking to grow quickly and as efficiently as you have done over the years? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so it's interesting. We, when we started our business, um, the, we, you know, our first client that we landed with, I mentioned my friend was an executive at this, at this company. I mean, they are a $60 billion company. Um, so they're a big German conglomerate called ThyssenKrupp. Um, you know, they're still a customer. And, and so in, initially, you know, my goal and my strategy was, well, I'm just going to grow that account. And so I kind of, you know, I got to know more and more and more people in that organization, you know, and at one point, you know, we even spread internationally. So we did work in Germany and, you know, in um, South Korea and stuff all for that company. But then you look at it and you say, wow, you know, a hundred percent of my revenue is tied to one company, one customer. And that's tip. That is very common. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that, you know, people end up in that situation, um, but it's not a good thing. And so uh, then after we had sort of that growth um, in that one big client, my, my sole goal in life was just to diversify. I have to get into other businesses. Um, and I've tried a lot of strategies around that. I've hired salespeople. We've done exhaustive, you know, um, advertising campaigns, a lot of other things. Um, and, and I think if you look at a little while ago, I sort of broke down all of our past, pro past projects into sort of a, a channel that it came from. Um, and the most productive channels for us uh, of course, there's word of, word of mouth and referrals. Everyone would say that, right? Um, you know, and I have had friends walk me into, uh, you know, there was a, another probably $10 billion company in Colorado. We just got walked into because I had a connection there, right? Um, but the, the one that's most exciting is really the organic sort of search presence channel. You know, that's the one that more recently we've been having total strangers, you know, come up to us who represent or are from very large companies um, and, and mid-sized companies. Cause you know, uh, uh, we do business with both. Um, but that channel is much more scalable. Uh, and I'd say in the last couple of years has become much more key to sort of our plans. Cause eventually you sort of run out of friends, you know, 
all, all your friends who could have referred to you have, right? Um, and so I think uh, for us, that organic channel through, you know, whether it's blogging or local search or, or podcasting, any kind of content um, has, has been really key to us. And on the subject of podcasts, you are also a podcast host, are you not? That's correct. Yeah. So, so tell us about Unstoppable Talk. Yeah. So I started uh, our podcast, Unstoppable Talk, uh, in May last year. Um, and I did that. It's funny because I, I have, you know, I used to have a band when I got out of college and in college. And so I had sort of a little bit of a background in audio production. And, you know, I had microphones laying around, you know, that were dusty from 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and so I had, you know, if you look at our blog, I mean, I had kind of long struggled to um, you know, regularly post content on our blog. I have friends that post every day, right? You know, a thousand words a day. That's just about impossible for me, I've found. Um, and so uh, when podcasting sort of started getting more and more popular, I, I put that out there. And, and it's interesting because if you look at, you know, our blog is probably about eight years old. And in one year of existence, our podcast has matched the traffic that an eight-year-old blog with probably a hundred or so articles has on it. Right. Um, and, and for me, it's been much easier to create, you know, an hour long conversation than it is to uh, write a thousand word post. Um, but the show is basically about, uh, we, we say the intersection of business and innovation. Um, so anybody doing anything innovative in business with technology, with their business model, we kind of sit and just have a conversation uh, and, and dig into some questions about it. And um, I, I enjoy it because I, I think we really get some incredibly insightful uh, answers through it. And, and sometimes our guests sort of uncover things they hadn't even thought of before. So it's, uh, it's been a good experience. Love it. So everyone listening to this, when they finished with uh, Sam today, they can uh, tune into his and listen to him again for another hour. So that would be, that would be great. Um, now, obviously, in the recent past, Sam, there's a lot gone on in our world. Um, and I think it's forced a lot of us to take a good look at the minutiae of our lives and our businesses, that detail we spoke about earlier. And we talked about the kind of the 80-20 thing, square pegs, round holes. Um, to what extent does customization, because I know there's a lot of people that will say, oh, okay, I can live, I can live with the 20% that doesn't work. Can you help uh, them to understand the correlation or lack of correlation probably is more important um, because does it necessarily follow that um, the outcomes, outputs and savings are not necessarily linked with the 80-20? In other words, what I'm trying to say is um, if they could improve the 80 to 100% because of customization, what effect would that have on productivity and profitability relative to that cost increase? Yeah. So I, I, well, I think what I have found is that, like you said, you, you can't directly correlate, uh, you know, if you think about like your, your feature coverage is that 80, 20%, let's say with the value you're going to get. So you, let, let's say that, let's say there's a potential, let's say you're a $50 million company. And if you built a, a perfect system for yourself, you could save, you know, $5 million in operating costs a year, $10 million, something like that. Um, you can't look at it and say, well, this software does 80% of what we need. And so we'll get 80% of that 5 million. And so, you know, whatever that is, three point something we'll get, it doesn't work that way. Um, I think it can often be that a couple like really key features, um, can give you again, just like that 80, 20 rule can give you 80% of the value too. Uh, and so I've seen customers, for instance, uh, we have a, we have a customer that, you know, 
uh, has spent a ton of money moving to a new new ERP system, and and they're really not getting any value or gain out of it. Um, in the end, they look back and, and something like I saw a survey a little while ago that something like 70 percent of of customers who rolled out some of those big uh, cookie cutter ERP systems look back and say, you know, we didn't get anything out of this. Like we, there was no value to actually deploying this because we had to shoehorn ourselves into this other way. And so I think it can be that that sort of, uh, you know, that little 20 percent feature that gives you 80 percent of the value that you might get. Um, and in fact, I think it, it can be even even more than that. Sometimes it can just be like a couple very, very key things you can hone in on if you take it down, you know, to something to a real optimal fit for the way you want to run uh, that that makes a difference. And, and it's funny because people, you know, most a lot of products that they buy out there, uh, cars, you know, telephones, whatever it is they're buying, you know, they won't accept, well, this will do 80 percent of what you want. They won't accept that, right? No, I'm not going to buy a car that is just like okay-ish, you know? Um, people want a car that really fits what they want. And, and you know, and, and if they buy it and they discover it doesn't fit them, they'll turn around and sell pretty quickly, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so I think software can be the same way, uh, you know, that to really get the best ROI out of it, you can't, there is no silver bullet. You know, you can't just buy something off the shelf and 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 hope that it's going to be fundamentally uh, broad sweeping changes uh, to your profit model. So what's next for um, Unstoppable Software and Sam Shooty? So I think um, so, like I said, we you know, obviously our background in building these systems, uh, we've we've focused a lot on, you know, coming in and building new stuff for for customers. And what I'm seeing here. I don't know if it's it's you know due to the economy or other other things, but but there's a lot of attention and there's a lot of uh, interest in other services that we can sort of expand into. Uh, and so, for instance, two of those that that I'm excited about. One is sort of what I would call uh, maintenance takeovers. Uh, so, if you have a system that has been built and you've got you know maybe a development team just sort of sitting around, or maybe they left, maybe they're not there anymore. Um, but you just need someone to sort of keep it up and running. We've been having a lot of customers hire us to come in and just take over all the maintenance for their existing systems, um, which, you know, is interesting because then that leads us to discover things we can suggest for new systems. Right. Um, and then we've also been doing a lot of work with, with companies of, of coming in and trying to help them figure out sort of what's gone wrong with their team. Um, you know, wh- why, what's wrong with our architecture, you know, our software architecture, our, our team members, you know, is there mentoring possible to try to fix um, what's going on there? Uh, and, and can we kind of come in and then help that team become more high performing? Um, so, you know, it's, it's all that kind of us further productizing our services, I think. Um, and, and those are all sort of add-ons, I think, that are going to help us, uh, in, you know, increase our revenue quite a bit outside of our core offering. Exciting times ahead. How do we find out more about Unstoppable Software uh, Sam Shooty, are you uh, are you a social media kind of guy? I know you mentioned the blog, so uh, you can give that a plug for sure. And obviously, we've heard about the podcast. But how would we find it easiest to find out what you're up to and communicate with you if we wish? Yeah, so our website is just unstoppablesoftware.com. So it's unstoppable with two P's, software.com. Um, you know, if you go on there, there's links to our blog and to our podcast. Um, you can also look me up on LinkedIn. 
just just under Sam Schutte. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out. Uh, anyone that has any kind of questions about ideas about how they might better run their their business or take their take a, a new business model uh, to fruition. Fabulous. Thank you. So last question, Sam, because I can't believe half an hour has been and gone in the blink of an eye. Um, if let's imagine a young version of yourself, a son, a daughter came to you and said, dad, you know, uh, kudos to you, all you've achieved both as a, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, somebody who's uh, taken the action <laughs> minus the business plan early on, but you still made a success of it all. Um, and with all your wonderful experience, uh, that you've amassed over these years, but but I can I'm only going to allow you to share a few words of wisdom rather than you know um, give me all of that experience. If you could if you could stick it into one little test tube and share that with me, what would that single piece of advice be to a a younger version of yourself? I would say persistence. You know, not don't give up just when things, uh, even if they get really dark. Uh, it's you know it's important to live to play another day. Um, but, you know, I think Steve Jobs said that there's, you know, a ton of just really, really good companies that if they just waited a little longer and they didn't give up, it would have been amazing, uh, amazing firms, you know. Uh, and, and for me, I mean, there's been times, especially early on, where, you know, we didn't have any projects for for 60 days or something. And I, when I was working on my own, I was sitting there like, well, I have nothing to do. What's happening? And And I think I maybe a lot of people in their right mind would have, you know, said, all right, well, I guess I need to go find a job, you know, but I waited and, and I, I toughed it out. And, and, you know, I remember when that particular time happened at the end of that 60 days, a seven figure project fell in our lap, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, it, it can be hard to weather through that, but I, but I think once you've done it enough, once you've ridden that roller coaster a few times, you kind of get used to it. And then, and you gain that value of perspective, like, eh, you know, we'll get through this coronavirus, we'll get through this, you know, all these sort of economic problems. There is always uh, a, a sort of brighter day at the end of that uh, tunnel. What a very positive way to end uh, today's podcast with Sam Shooty. Sam, thank you so much for joining us and for just sharing uh, so many lovely nuggets and, and uh, inspirational insights into what's made you so successful. And uh, long may that continue. So uh, in all you continue to do, uh, all the very best. And once again, thank you so much for being our guest on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Well, thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Wasn't Sam Shooty absolutely terrific? Um, such a great success story. Each week, we have new guests joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. So please make sure you subscribe Follow us on social media, Sandro's Podcast with an S. Don't forget, same on all channels. And if you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember those two other things. Uh, to connect with me, Sandro Forte, it's the real Sandro Forte on Instagram because somebody pinched my name and I can't get it back. And please leave the reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until this time next week and another terrific guest, goodbye for now.